Hey there, and welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast, a podcast for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. I'm Kenzie Dozinski, a marriage therapist and relationship coach, with a heart to see lives and marriages transformed from the inside out for the glory of God and good of others. The Brave Marriage Podcast turned two months old on Saturday, and I want to thank you all so much for continuing to listen, for your messages, and for letting me know how this podcast is creating conversation and connection between you and your spouse. I really love hearing about it, and if you're new to the show and haven't yet left a rating or a review, would you please take a moment to do that? It's encouraging to me and it's encouraging to others when they stumble upon the show and find that this podcast, as you guys have told me, is worth listening to, which I don't take lightly at all. So thank you all again for being here. This month on the podcast, we are talking about conflict. And last week, we talked about what it means to be flooded and the importance of calming ourselves. And today, we're talking about the defenses we put up in conflict. But before we go on, I'd like to define conflict as a mental struggle between competing values, competing desires, competing expectations, and so on. So conflict starts in our mind and body first as we experience the internal tension of disagreeing with our spouse, and then we engage in conflict relationally. So just as conflict starts in the mind, so do our defenses. Defense mechanisms are habits of the mind that serve to protect us emotionally from feeling anxious, uncomfortable, or from getting hurt, and psychologically from experiencing cognitive dissonance or having to take in new information that may upset our ego. And when it comes to conflict, these defense mechanisms show up in two ways, in reaction to a perceived threat and or in anticipation of a perceived threat to protect us ahead of time from getting our egos bruised or our feelings hurt. Now, I want you to think about defense mechanisms as safety features that are built in to respond to danger. And although they're there to protect us, that doesn't necessarily mean they get installed or programmed correctly. So think about the safety features of your car. They're designed to protect you in the event of a collision and nowadays to anticipate collision. But let's say the car gets programmed incorrectly and the safety features are activated every time a foreign object comes into contact with your car. So you're driving down a country road, just you, your spouse, the sun shining through the trees, when suddenly a big bug splatters across your windshield. You're welcome. Now, of course, you're not happy about it, but it's not a big deal. I mean, it wasn't harmful to you or your spouse. That is, until your automatic brakes and airbags get activated. So all of a sudden, your bodies are thrown forward into the airbag and then back against the seat, leaving you with a sore body, airbag abrasions, and whiplash. So this is essentially what happens relationally when our defense mechanisms get activated in response to a perceived threat that's not actually real. While they're there to protect us individually, Our defenses can sometimes end up causing more harm than good and potentially wreak havoc on our marriages. I've compiled a list of seven unhealthy defense mechanisms that we need to learn to let go of. Because as long as we're playing defense in our marriages, we're not building trust, we're not growing in intimacy, and we're not working as a team. 
And what I want you to focus on in today's episode are the defenses you personally engage in so that you can begin to catch yourself when these get activated and learn to choose healthier ways of interacting in conflict. The more self-aware we are when our unhelpful defenses kick in, the better we'll be able to see them for what they are, roadblocks to trust, intimacy, and an amazing marriage. And I'm going to pray for us real quick that, God, you would reveal to us our defense strategies that keep our egos intact and our spouses at a distance, and you at a distance in our minds and hearts for that matter, even though you're ever-present to all of us at all times. All right, the first defense to drop is denial. Denial means refusing to believe that something our spouse is telling us about ourselves is true. Let's say husband comes to wife and says, Honey, when I checked our account the other day, we had $5 left in checking. And I noticed you spent hundreds of dollars this month, but I don't really know what on. And so I just want to know where our money is going. And I want to be able to do the things we said we would do earlier this year. But I'm starting to fear that we won't be able to. Mind you, this is not an example of a spouse seeking control over the other. It's an example of one spouse being uncertain about the degree of trust between them and feeling like they're not on the same page. So denial on the wife's part would look like this. I have not spent hundreds of dollars this month, but what I have spent it on is on things that we need. The main problem here is that you're too uptight with our money, and I wish you'd just relax. Okay, so... If you've ever heard yourself respond to your spouse in this way, it's important to realize that while you're busy denying facts, you're also denying your spouse his or her right to legitimate concerns in your relationship and very real feelings. And yes, if Evan were to say this to me, it would be hard to hear, certainly. And it would take tremendous courage on my part to confront whatever I needed to within myself. But if I were to really try to listen, and accept the truth about a pattern in my life that I couldn't see but my spouse could see, because, well, that's the gift of marriage, right? Iron sharpening iron. I would end up in a much healthier emotional state rather than remaining in entitlement. And instead of me shifting the blame and distancing myself while my spouse learned to walk on eggshells completely demoralized, we'd be able to stay close and connected while growing as individuals. The second defense to drop is avoidance. Avoidance is refusing to admit that there's actually a problem between you in the first place. So denial is refusing to believe something about ourselves, whereas avoidance is refusing to admit something about our relationship. So wife comes to husband and says, You know, we've put off having a conversation about children for five years now. We've agreed to revisit the topic four years into marriage, but here we are five years later, and every time I bring it up to you, you keep putting it off, and it's starting to worry me that maybe you don't actually want children. And husband says to wife, Honey, don't worry. Of course I want to have kids. You're worrying for no reason. All right, if you've ever heard yourself do this to your spouse, shrugging off your partner's feelings is inconsequential, It's important to recognize that while you're content to prolong a conversation, your spouse may be feeling disappointed, helpless, and invalidated in his or her feelings. And here's the deal. If we're avoiding something, 
It's either because we find it too hard to hear, too hard to let ourselves feel, or too hard to say what we need to say. But we're engaging in wishful thinking if we think the problem will eventually just go away. Instead, what avoidance leads to over time is further suppressing our true feelings, distracting ourselves from the issue, and eventually numbing out or escaping. So instead of setting a course that's headed for total disengagement, the healthy response is to acknowledge that in fact there is a problem and tell your spouse where you are with it, whether it's what they want to hear or not. Now, I know this can be so scary, but one of two things will happen the moment you do. One, it actually won't be as big of a deal as you've built it up to be in your head, and your spouse will offer grace and understanding and work toward resolution. Or two, it will be a big deal, and you'll have arrived where you would have anyway, just who knows how many years sooner, and with way less relational, emotional, and psychological damage meaning you'll be able to get the help you need without waiting six years too long, if you remember from the last Q&A episode. Both are 100% in everyone's best interest. Okay, the third defense to drop is intellectualization, meaning using rational thought and reasoning to avoid emotional distress. Intellectualization serves to protect us from being confronted with our own or someone else's feelings especially if we're uncomfortable with them. So let's say wife comes to husband and says, Honey, I appreciate your asking me about my relationship with Jesus and about what I believe, but I really felt uncomfortable and kind of less than when you began talking to me in a way that felt more like a lecture than a conversation about our faith. And husband responds, It's important to have a proper theological understanding about what you believe, of what informs your faith, because if you don't know, how can you expect to be prepared to give a reason for the hope you profess? Now, for those of you who don't know, that last statement includes quoting 1 Peter 3.15 at your partner. So, I've blended spiritualization and intellectualization here for the sake of a 15-minute episode. But if you've ever heard yourself explaining something to your spouse or teaching him or her what you know in response to their feelings, then it's important to understand that while you're trying to convince your spouse of the importance of your position, your spouse is feeling completely unheard, invalidated, and worst of all, really small. Because by presenting yourself as all fact and no feeling, you're subtly or not so subtly reinforcing a cultural message of superiority that rewards reasoning to feeling. And the ironic thing is, if we've ever prided ourselves on being the logical or rational one in our relationship, chances are that we're also the emotionally unaware one in our relationship and therefore actually controlled more by our emotions than our spouses. Think about it. If I'm unable to admit that what my spouse is telling me makes me uncomfortable, or that I have insecurities that I'm unwilling to touch, much less let my spouse touch, then I'm always going to act in ways that perpetuate the self I'm most comfortable with and confident in, with zero awareness that that's what I'm doing. And if I continue, I'll only drive my spouse farther away while contributing significantly to my spouse's self-esteem being driven into the ground, all the while inflating my own self-esteem. So, of the four defenses we're covering today, 
This one is most damaging relationally because of its contemptuous nature. The healthy response here would be to get curious about what our spouse is seeing and feeling that we've somehow missed or don't quite understand. And then the task for us personally is to slowly but surely untangle our intellect or theological training from our identity and to become more aware of our emotions so that we can lead our emotions rather than them subconsciously leading us under the facade of logic or reason. Okay, how we doing? Happy Monday, right? Ugh, I know, but the work of having a brave marriage is just as much work within as it is work in between. So the fourth defense we'll finish up talking about today is rationalization, meaning making excuses for motives or behavior that someone is questioning or calling us out on. And I would bet that some of us have engaged in this defense mechanism while listening to this episode. I mean, as I reflect on this list, I can identify three of the four we've talked about today in my own life, not necessarily relationally at the moment. We'll get to that in the next episode. But if I'm being honest in regard to my own work and calling, things I'm afraid to address because they've just never showed up before in my life, things I don't have the answers to, and because the what of what I fear is new, even though the experience of fear is exactly the same. Hashtag patterns. Anyway, back to rationalization. Let's say husband comes to wife and says, Hey babe, did you wash the work pants you said you'd wash last week? And she says, No, I didn't. You know why? Because I have a million things to do around here, on top of work and kids and everything else, and I didn't have time. So, if you can identify yourself in a similar scenario, it's important to recognize that while you're justifying your actions or inactions, your spouse is feeling blamed for even asking, possibly attacked, or maybe just misunderstood, especially if your spouse was asking to know whether or not they needed to do it. And the more we rationalize our action or inaction, the less our spouse finds us trustworthy because the integrity of our word is compromised. So instead, a healthy response would be to say, gosh, I'm sorry, babe, I totally forgot. I can either do them for you now or next time I'll write myself a note or set a reminder on my phone. This allows our spouse an opportunity to give us grace for being human without our having to make an excuse. And in general, it promotes trust and goodwill between us, knowing that we can count on each other in the future. All right, friends, your action step this week is to identify which of these four defense mechanisms you see in yourself and have a conversation with your spouse as a way of confessing what you've become aware of in yourself and asking forgiveness, if need be, for the ways your programming has negatively impacted your relationship. And I'll be back next week to finish off part two, then the following week we'll talk about what triggers our defenses in the first place. Until then, my prayer for your marriage is the same as the one I prayed earlier, in that God would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and the courage and desire for change and growth. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Love is not a battle. 